like in marriage, uh, there are some wonderful adjustments. Um, you find out that uh, the person that you married has a tendency maybe to throw their dirty clothes on the floor. Nobody told me that. Uh, they tend to squeeze the toothpaste tube in the middle, not from the end. Um, when their hands are wet doing the dishes, they're a flinger. And so water sprays everywhere. Nobody told me that. You know? And it's kind of like that as the body of Christ grows. Um, as God adds to this church, he's going to add people, believe it or not, who are different from you. And diversity is by design. And so um, as, you, as you get used to it, let me, let me encourage you by this. I learned a long time ago the biggest reason I had problems with other people was because they weren't like me. They didn't think my thoughts after me. They didn't do things the way I did it. <laughs> and that annoyed me at times. And I had to learn to realize, well, who came up with this idea of diversity with unity? God. The triunity of our God is, is wonderful unity with incredible diversity. And yet there's a synergy, there's a dance, there's a, a perichoresis that occurs. And we're blessed. Well, enough of my greeting. Um, take your Bible, turn with me to a minor prophet with a major message for us this morning, Hosea. Hosea. More than any other prophet, Hosea's message is closely tied to his personal life. By marrying a woman that he knew would eventually betray his trust, and giving his children names that sent messages of judgment on Israel, Hosea's prophetic word flowed out of his family life. This is incredible. The cycle of repentance and redemption and restoration are evident all throughout Hosea's prophecy. And his marriage remains to this day a powerful reminder to our lives. And I want us to note that today. The book of Hosea illustrates that no one is beyond the offer of our forgiveness because no one is beyond the offer of God's forgiveness. Now, realizing that this is above my pay grade, beyond my reach, and outside my skill set, I think I should pray. And I need you to help me. I want you to pray. This is a singular message and there's more than one person here. And so I want you to invite the Holy Spirit of God to have free access to every area of your life. You know that junk drawer that you don't want to open because you can't open it? it just It's jammed. That closet where everything is stuffed do you have an open because it just, if it comes out, what do you do with it? That three-car garage that you've never been able to park a car in, would you give the Holy Spirit access to every area of your life this morning and invite Him in 
to do anything that he wants to do. That'd be a big help because I'm going to do that for me. So let's pray. Father, search me and try me. In the crucible of your refining, reveal to me those hidden areas, those secret faults, those areas of my life where I I justify that need to be laid bare, that need to be forsaken, that need to be strengthened, that need to change by your enabling. And Father, believing that my brothers and sisters here are not a whole lot different from me, I ask that that same brooding, ever faithfully abiding spirit would do that in them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, I met a friend that I had not seen in years. And as we were talking, I, I, I asked her, how's your husband doing? Because he had been a really good friend as well. And she told me, she said, well, we're, we're separated. And you could have, I was like a stunned mullet, you know? because they were passionate in love when I knew them. They were like a light on a hill for all to see. They could not spend enough time together. They were so absorbed with each other that literally when they were first married, because I performed the wedding ceremony, they would lose literally all track of time. He would be late to work because he was gobsmacked as he was talking with his wife and enjoying her at the breakfast table. They were like two lovers sailing among tropical islands. Their days were filled with little things, expressions of of love that were so creative. He, He raised the bar so much that he convicted me, man, I have got to do more to show my wife how much I love her. They never could stop saying, I love you. They just couldn't do enough for each other. They worked hard together. They hung in there together in difficult times, which actually drew them closer. But, and whenever that word drops itself in the narrative that is your life, something's coming that's indicative of a change. In the passage of time, they got out of vital contact with one another. The pressures of life in the real world pressed down upon them. Work demands and time constraints seemed to steadily increase. Um, They sold their soul to the company store. They began killing themselves, making a living. Go figure. They no longer had time for the little things, and the love that lingered was rarely verbalized or expressed in any way openly. They became like two ships passing in the night because their devotion, their delight, turned to duty. And the radiance of the love that they once shared was no longer a blazing fire, but a dim, flickering, dying ember. 
Do you realize that it's easy for you and I to get out of vital contact with God? And though the loss of spiritual intimacy is not always deliberate, the consequences are no less tragic if the problems are not dealt with rightly. Hosea is perhaps the most tender of all of the prophets in Scripture, largely due to the tragic, painful reality of what he experienced in his marriage to a woman named Gomer. In Hosea, when he refers to Ephraim, he is referring to the ten northern tribes of Israel. I want you to keep that in mind. Of which Ephraim was the dominant tribe. So Hosea, in a brief but clear-pointed way, provides for us God's diagnosis of spiritual decline. Have you ever known somebody who just seemed to love Jesus? They were effervescent. They were constantly witnessing. They were Bible-saturated, seemingly people. And then you meet them years later, and they're as cold and as dry. And you wonder, what happened? And you begin to wonder, could that ever happen to me? Well, Hosea gives us some insight there. And he mentions for us four perils that we have to be aware of and we have to try to avoid like the plague. So the first one is found in Hosea chapter 6. If you turn there, verse 4. And the first one, I want to call it superficial consecration. Look at verse 4. What shall I do with you? Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do with you, O Judah, for your loyalty? Another translation uses the word faithfulness. Is like a morning cloud, like the early dew which goes away early. Your love, your loyalty, your faithfulness vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew when the sun comes out. Ours is an age of superficiality. Surface relationships. Disembodied communication, which is anything that you do that's digital and you're out of the mix. Praise God for digital, okay? But there's nothing more fraught with potential danger in communication than digital communication. It's disembodied, folks. 93% of your communication is nonverbal. 7% is words. When you go blah, 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 nobody gets the other 93%. And I've cleaned up more messes than I care to admit about at a Christian college among Christian staff because they spew their thoughts in an email or a text to a colleague. At least they keep me employed. Surface relationships. Superficial 
consecration. People possessing a, a theological breadth of information, but no depth of spiritual vital relationship with God. It's easy for us to respond to God's message superficially. How often do you allow God to deal with you radically and deeply? A few weeks ago, I was wrestling with the most formidable opponent I've ever been paired up with in life. It was on. And I thought for sure he was going to kill me. <laughs> Literally. And I, I was, I mean, I wrestled in university and I thought I was still pretty good. I'm fairly decent shape for an old guy. But man, this, this mongrel was just tearing me up. His name was Pride. Oh, man, he was having a go at me. Big time. And, and I called in my, my wife and my daughters to help me out. See, I was wrestling with the fact that my hearing was diminishing. And I had to get hearing aids. And I thought, I don't want to get hearing aids. I, I don't need any help. Thank you very much. And um, I said, girls, could you help me out? <laughs> well, they did. And they listed about a dozen good reasons why they observed firsthand that it would be a helpful thing. And then the piece de resistance was my daughter who stood up and pulled up her top and she showed me the stoma site where she, her feeding tube is attached. And she said, Dad, if I can do this, what is two little hearing aids? Come on, put on your big boy pants. Early when my wife and daughters were speaking, I, I didn't want to go there. I was hearing them okay, but I was not listening okay. Because they zeroed in on exactly what I needed to hear. And you know what? Sometimes God does that with us. He puts by His Holy Spirit His finger exactly on what it is that needs to change in our life. And we want to be like a man with a remote and change the channel. Let's surf here. There's got to be something better. I don't want to hear this. How many times have you felt conviction of sin and yet not allowed the Holy Spirit of God to work in you so strongly that you hated what He showed you was you? And then to turn from it. Often we acknowledge our sin, but we don't seriously and thoroughly and permanently deal with it. We find ourselves, as I said, changing the channel. New resolves will never take the place of genuine heart repentance and the turning away from sin to God. And God's complaint here is that Ephraim's goodness, his love, his loyalty was surface and shallow and it was prone to change. Sometimes it's not that we don't want the best, but our resolve, our stick quickly fades. Does your fickleness and superficiality perplex God? Remember Simon the surface? He became, by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, 
Peter the rock. Stable. Secure. In Jesus. So that's the first peril. Superficial consecration. Turn now to chapter 7 and verse 8. The second one is partial sanctification. The latter part of that verse tells us Ephraim has become a cake not turned. Another translation puts it this way. They have become as worthless as a half-baked cake. Have you ever baked a cake that was done on the outside but half done on the inside? Here is a picture of a cake that is cooked on a griddle. Not in an oven, on a griddle. But it's not turned. So it's done on one side, but it's uncooked on the other. And you know what? We can be like that. Many today are like that in character. They're, they're overdeveloped in some areas, but really deficient in other areas. They're moving ahead by leaps and bounds in some ways, but they're retarded in other ways. Have you ever known somebody that's only been saved a short period of time? I mean, like, let's say a year. And that's a little bit of time, really. But man, they just seem so incredibly mature. And then you meet people who've been saved since Noah and the ark. (laughs) And yet, you look at them and you wonder, man, you have been out. Where have you been? It's like, you don't I mean, they're so immature. You see, spiritual maturity is not based upon how much you know. You can know this much, but if you, by the Spirit's enabling, are living this much... You're mature. But if you know this much, and you're living this much, the disparity will scream. We all want, and to all of us have to realize, to some extent, we are only partially sanctified. Because we've not turned some areas of our life life, toward the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're strong in Bible truth and knowledge, but we're weak in Christ-like grace. We're vibrant in word, but anemic in living it out. We're, We're generous in nature, but we're violent in temper. We're rock solid in our doctrine, but uncomfortably soft in Christian love. So the reality is one-sided development is true of all of us because there's only one person who was completely sanctified and truly balanced in character, and that was Jesus. Full of grace and truth. He was the goodness and severity of God wrapped up in perfect deity and perfect humanity. We all tend to major, if not overdo, the forms of work that we like. We tend to neglect the hidden or less desirable tasks. We tend to cultivate what we consider to be our strong points and neglect our weaker points. But I've come to find out that my strong points are the greatest points of my potential vulnerability. You know why? 
Because when I have strengths and I have giftings and I have abilities and I have proven experience, I think, I've got this. And the fact is, I don't. The first step toward a fall is just that proud arrogance. So God challenges us in Scripture to cultivate the weak points of our character. And His desire is to equip us in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So be encouraged. The fire under the cake is still burning. It's not too late. We have time for the cake to be turned and the sanctifying ovens of the Holy Spirit's fire to complete the baking process. But it is for you to turn that half-baked, unfinished area of your life toward the fire. I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. The third area is incomplete Separation. Go back to Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17. There's a little phrase there that I want to siphon out. It says, Ephraim, Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Now, go to chapter 7 verse 8. It has a similar statement. It says, Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Now, there's a wrong kind of separation that really puts you and I out of touch with the common person. And if we're out of touch like that, we'll never reach them for, for Christ. You see, salt, as we saw last month, has to come in contact with the earth. You, you don't leave the salt in the shaker. It doesn't do any good there, okay? Christ was always with sinners. He, was, he copped a lot of flack for that too. But let me say, and this is what this is talking about, there is a separation that is not only right, it's required. You see, the godless ways of the world, the system of thought, the values or lack of, the ways and means that people take that are not according to God. And it says here that Ephraim was to separate from this idolatry, this godless surrounding of his culture. Now the idea here of Hosea 4.17 is where it says Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. This does not mean, well, if Ephraim has his idols, let him have it. I'm done with him. I've washed my hands. Let him go. This is exactly what God is not saying. Look what he says and go to chapter 11. In Hosea 11 and verse 8, he says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart is turned over within me and all my compassions are kindled. Do you see what God's saying here? He's simply warning Judah not to follow the evil example of those idolatrous people. 
If he goes after his idols, don't follow him. Let him alone. That's the divine warning. Our associations in those ways are to be broken. Paul states that in Corinthians when he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Like, come on, it ain't rocket science. And then there's a fourth peril. Unconscious deterioration. Look at Hosea chapter 7, verse 9. Strangers devour his strength, and yet he does not know it. Gray hairs also are sprinkled on him. (laughs) Mine are lavishly poured. Yet he does not know it. Another translation puts it, Worshipping foreign gods has sapped their strength, but they don't even know it. Israel is like an old man with graying hair, unaware of how weak and old he has become. Oh my. Now, gray hair is usually a sign of diminishing strength. Few of us, I know I didn't, I didn't go gray overnight. I earned every one of these babies, okay? That's what pastoral ministry does. It earns you these gray hairs. Um, I didn't feel it. To my knowledge, uh, my getting gray hair was not something that I felt. And I initially noticed because normally when when I got my first gray, that baby was rogue. Like... It wanted to be curly. I mean, I dreamed of curly hair, but this one gray hair would just go boing. And so I would pull it. And then the next one that came was the same, but eventually, you know, four pulls and it came out and had the same texture as the rest. But that's how spiritual decline is. It's not necessarily conscious. It's not necessarily sudden. Spiritual decline is not usually something that we determine to do any more than that couple that I referenced at the beginning. They didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, as much as I've loved you, today I've decided I'm going to do something that's going to totally change that. And you'll wash your hands of me. It didn't happen that way. It was a gradual thing. But it was out of clear sight almost as if behind their backs. You see, spiritual vision and enthusiasm tend to diminish if we're not vitally connected to the living Christ. And Ephraim's deterioration came as a result of his unholy alliances, which led to idolatry, which then led to immorality. Now, if you want a good example of that, Solomon. I mean, for being the wisest man that ever lived, He was really dumb. And you know what? We're all dumb when we turn our back on the wisdom of God and think that we've got an option that actually is better. So here's a warning. Watch for signs of premature aging or deterioration in your spiritual life. Watch for cosmetic spirituality. Keeping up appearances while spiritual graying is advancing. Coming in and saying, praise the Lord. 
Or as in India, often my brothers and sisters would say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, stotram, stotram, stotram. And I don't mind people saying praise the Lord and praise God. But when their lips are drawing near like that, and you've already seen them outside of that context, and they're a long way from their heart being where their lips are, you know, you have to analyze the discrepancy. You see, ignorance of our true state comes from a failure from looking and gazing intently into the mirror of God's Word to see ourselves as we actually are. You see, the Word of God, God's, His love for us is so committed that He wants to show us what we actually look like so that we can become the ideal. And the tragedy was strangers were devouring his strength and he didn't know it. Gray hairs were sprinkled on him and he didn't know it. Listen, here's, here's a commentary on Samson. Delilah calls out, The Philistines are upon you, Samson! And he woke up from his sleep and he said, I will go at other, as at other times and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. So take stock. Do stock take more than once a year? Take stock of the vibrancy and of the intimacy of your relationship with Christ. Because it is a sad day in anyone's life when they are unaware of their greatest need in the hour of their greatest need. It's tragic. It's unnecessary ignorance. Therefore, having these promises, brothers and sisters, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Well, whenever God diagnoses a problem, praise God, He lovingly and graciously prescribes the cure. And He did this for Ephraim, and He will certainly do that for us when needed. Go with me to the 14th chapter because that's where we find and we normally find a lot of times when there's a, a bit of brokenness and there's a bit of um, tension and flow in the narrative of an Old Testament book. You got to get right to the end of that book before you kind of see some harmonizing, synthesizing thought from God. And the first word that I want us to kind of ingrain in our mind is the word return. It's found in chapter 14, verse 1. It's the first word off the ramp, okay? Return, O Israel, to the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. <laughs> what a welcome awaits you from a forgiving God. Listen to what he says in verse 4. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Awesome. So, return. Number two, repent. Look at verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. See, returning and words, how do you put two side by side? I've got them in order here. And we like dot points, don't we? We like, you know, 
return, repent, renounce. We like kind of that kind of... But sometimes things are happening almost concurrently, even though we might talk about them consecutively. And I'm only doing that because the text is consecutive. But these are concurrent things. It says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Now, this is not a vague or a general confession. You know what a general confession is. It's just, I'm a sinner. Okay? That's a generalization. You can go one step better. I have sinned. What's that? That's an admission. One step better. I'm really sorry for my sin. That's contrition. Okay. There's one step better. I promise that I'll never, ever do this again. Really? (laughs) Okay. That is a resolution. Do you know what? None of those individually or collectively make up confession. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sin as God does, in other words, if we learn to see and say what our sin is as God sees and declares it to be, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to continually keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So this is a specific personal outpouring of a contrite, broken heart. Return, repent, renounce. Verse 3, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God to the work of our hands, for in you the orphan finds mercy. Do you see what he's saying here? All alliances that hinder, all the weights that slow you down, and the sin is to be laid aside. Now, let me take a brief detour here for a moment. You don't need to turn there. Stay in Hosea. But I'm going to take you now mentally to the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews mentions to us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, he reminds us that there is a particular sin, a definite sin that easily hinders our progress in life. This sin ensnares us, it entangles us, it causes us to break stride and to stumble and even to fall out of the race altogether. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, what's he talking about? Chapter 11, that great hall of faith, okay? all the people that have gone before, let us lay aside every encumbrance, every weight. You know what that tells us? There's a lot of them. 
There's a lot of weights. There's a lot of encumbrances. And you know what? They're not in and of themselves sinful. It's like if I want to compete in running uh, the 400 meter at the upcoming Commonwealth Games, and I want to wear long jeans and a wind cheater and gum boots, I can. But is it going to be helpful? I don't think so. Because I'm not very aerodynamic if I were to don lycra. Okay? So, what's happening here? Lay aside every encumbrance, and then it says, and the sin which so easily entangles us. What is the particular sin? It's the sin. It's singular. And I've asked myself that question many times. And I believe Hebrews chapter 10 and chapter 11 helps to answer that question. And it's the sin of, and others agree, but it doesn't matter if they don't, because this is where I'm landing. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's unbelief in the promises of God. The failure to trust God and His promises because they are the only thing that sustain our radical obedience both now and for every day that we have yet future. And God says, I'll tolerate nothing in your life that takes the supreme place that I alone should have. So, Return, repent, renounce. Now in closing, what's the prognosis? If we respond by returning and repenting and renouncing as one who recognizes a spiritual decline. And let me ask you, are you losing momentum right now in your spiritual life? If you are, if you're losing momentum if the pace that you're at right now is not what you believe God wants it to be, if you're losing momentum, it can be because either you're coasting or you're going downhill. And if we correct that, look what he says in verse 5 of chapter 14. He says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. Ephraim's superficial goodness, which vanished with the early morning dew, will be replaced by the refreshing dew of God from heaven. Do you realize that dew is the main source of renewal in the Middle East and without it, vegetation would die? It's not a luxury. It's an absolute necessity. Question. Are you dew-drenched and fresh? Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on vegetation which do not wait for man or delay for the sons of man. Micah 5.7 The Spirit of God makes all things new. Freshness. Freshness. Secondly, He'll bless you with fragrance. This refreshing of the dew releases the fragrance of the flower. Look at verse 6. His shoots will sprout, and His beauty will be like the olive tree, and His fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. 
You see, in the Bible, freshness and fragrance go together. When drought sets in, do you realize that the scent of the flowers in our garden diminish? And the promises of verse 5 and 6 is, they shall revive and their scent shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Fragrance is such a subtle thing, and yet its absence is absolutely detected, and its presence cannot be mistaken or missed. It's like passing a woman or a man that has a perfume or a cologne or a fragrance on, and it's really nice, and it's not strong and overpowering, but as you walk past them, it's just like, yeah. But you know what? I've met people in which the fragrance of Christ was so manifest in their life it was like you couldn't inhale deep enough or hold it long enough. As delightful as freshness and fragrance are, they're not the desired end. And that's why look at verse 8. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am the luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Fruitfulness. That's the end of all of God's creation. In other words, God is saying here, your fruitfulness comes from me. A branch that's not connected to the vine will bear no fruit. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He says, in this relationship with me, listen up. I am going to be your servant. I will serve you. You will not serve me in the sense that you're going to give me something that I don't already have. Or that you're going to do something for me that I can't do on my own. I will serve you. I will work for you. Do you think that you can drink from this cup without my help and my service? Do you think that you can endure the suffering of my baptism without my serving and helping you? Do you think you can become the kind of person who renounces fame and human status to serve people without me serving you and enabling you day and night for all of your life? You can't. You can't. Do you recall what Jesus said in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm not into tattoos and I'm not advocating, but boy, if we ever had to have one or God ever wanted us to have one, it would be, put that there, right there. <laughs> apart from me, you can't do anything. You cannot be fresh. You cannot be fragrant. You cannot bear fruit. Because the Christian life is the life of serving others in the strength that Christ provides as our servant. So ask God this morning to be the dew of your life so that you can blossom like the lily, so that you will be fresh and fragrant and fruitful to the glory of His name, to the joy of your own heart, and to the blessing of everybody that comes in contact with you. 
Let's pray. Father, to that end, we want to pursue you this morning. We just ask that you would continue to bring us this absolute place of utter dependence upon you. Liberate us from this notion that we have got it or that we can do it. Help us to be sensitive to your Spirit's work in our life. May we be attentive to the things that you show us. May we respond accordingly. Thank you for brothers and sisters that that love us in a sense just as we are, but then love us so much they, they can't afford to leave us where we are because they recognize that God wants to take us beyond and outside of ourselves so that we might experience the fullness of all that he has given us in Christ Jesus. So, Father, as we prayed this morning, we close in quietness for you to seal and to bring and bear witness with our spirit that which you would have us take away. Speak, Lord. For right now, as your servants, we're listening. Amen.